the only way to actually get better at something is we need to go and actually work on it. So let's go and turn these things into actual goals that we're going to work on for the upcoming future to be better next time. And knowing that it doesn't mean that it's like a, you're a failure. You know, it's more about recognizing maybe you just didn't perform the way you wanted. And now we need to then recognize, well, how do I then do that? How do I actually perform the way I want? Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, we have Kai Laird. He is a certified mental performance consultant. Uh, I, If you've been following over the last several weeks, you're catching a theme of these, uh, these guys. Um, they're super smart. And Kai, specifically, is, is so knowledgeable and level-headed about things. I think you're going to get a lot of value out of hearing what he has to say and the way he has to say it. It's just awesome. Uh, it's, it's so clean. This, this episode is clean. That's, that's, that's what I left this, uh, right when we got off the call, that was kind of the emotion I had. Um, so I think you're going to learn a lot in a very simple way. Uh, it's just really helpful. Uh, but and we'll get to that conversation in just a sec. But before we do, I want to mention um, again the the mental game assessment. Obviously, if you've been a longtime follower of the podcast, you've heard of the mental game assessment. You might have even taken it. Hundreds of people have taken the mental game assessment. Um, I just I just want to mention it again. The assessment is basically a personality quiz, uh, but it's for your mental game related to golf. Uh, I do feel obliged to say that it's not actually a personality quiz. It hasn't been uh, rigorously tested um, through science or, or any kind of double-blind tests or anything like that. I, I, I do feel obligated to say that. But um, it's basically a personality test uh, for golf. Um, once you take the assessment, I will make your personal assessment report. Um, I hand do all of them, and I'll send it back to you. Uh, what you'll get is kind of your uh, your top three uh, areas, uh, strengths, uh, as far as mental game goes, across 18 different mental game categories. Um, and you'll also see your area in biggest and most need of improvement. And some kind of uh, quick, quick advice of like, um, in general, if this is the thing you struggle with, this is something you can try. So... Um, it's just a great little quick snapshot of of your mental game based on your input across over a hundred statements. So it's it's a pretty good snapshot. Um, I do have a backlog of these assessments that I need to send out. I'm, I need to get to work on them. So if you've done it in the past and you haven't got your report back, just be patient. I'll get it to you uh, someday. Uh, there's been a ton of people taking it, so that's a good problem to have. Uh, but the link to the mental game assessment will be in the show notes, uh, front and center. It'll be right below um, Kai Laird's links to his stuff. So I got to put him priority, and then right below that, that'll be the mental game assessment. So I highly encourage you to go take that. Um, it's just a great free resource. It takes about fifteen minutes. So go do that. Um, okay, let's get into this conversation with Kai Laird. Kai Laird, thank you for joining the Mental Golf Show. Uh, maybe if you would like, you could start by introducing yourself, kind of giving us some background info on how you got here, how how you got to be a certified mental performance consultant, that kind of backstory to get us up to speed. Yeah, 
So Josh, yeah, thanks again for having me on the on the show. Um, so as many of you know, just hearing my accent uh, doesn't sound like I'm from the US. I was uh, born and raised uh, twin islands of Trinidad and Tobago. So for for those who are just like me, I'm not the best at geography. Uh, if you think right about South America, it's the, the first set of islands that starts the uh, the chain of, of the Caribbean working its way up to the US. So I was born and raised there and um, played a variety of different sports. Golf was one of them. I played for a couple of years. My grandmother was a, a great golfer, so she got me into it. But uh fell in love with other sports like the like soccer that I played predominantly, uh, hockey and, and swimming. Uh, but hockey, uh, football, I, well, what we call football back home, which is soccer, um, was definitely the love and passion. And um, so I, went, I did my undergrad at University of Tampa. I studied business because I was always really uh, passionate about potentially running my own business with the idea of uh, doing a company that was like a mental health practice um so when i after i graduated my undergrad i actually did a year-long uh paid internship with the trinidad tobago sports company which pretty much provided a bunch of services like sports psychology strength and conditioning to its national and olympic athletes so i was actually able to for that year work with uh, their sports psychology consultants and i realized i was like wow this is a pretty cool job working with athletes helping them perform and uh, so i started looking for programs in the U.S., but I would be trained as a clinician as well as a mental performance consultant and uh, ended up finding a really great program in Adler School of Professional Psychology in Chicago, uh, where I studied and loved, loved Chicago. I was able to work at different internships, uh, one of them, of course, working with the athletic department at Loyola University. Um, and pretty much there, the journey kind of started, you know, loved loved w- what I was doing. And uh, after I graduated, I actually started this company, The Performance Pursuits, with a few of my colleagues that we graduated with. And uh, we've grown it over the last seven years uh, since we launched. Uh, we've worked with athletes all across the U.S., ranging from like middle school, high school, college, professional, Olympic athletes, and of course, even some masters athletes as well. So golfers are definitely a very common client of ours that reach out for services. Of course, you know, they say golf is one of those sports that usually uh, the game is won between the, you know, the six inches between the ears, right? So mm. um, so for the most part, you know, I'm a licensed uh, professional counselor as well. I've, I've done a lot of roles in mental health over the, you know, the last five, six years. Uh, so besides being a mental performance consultant, I also have worked with athletes in uh, supporting their mental health as well. So I, I dabble in both, but... For the most part, uh, when it comes to sports psychology, that's a big piece of what we do is helping athletes be able to train and perform the way that you know they de- they desire and helping them reach their athletic goals. So, right, okay, so th- I appreciate that uh, context and that history. So, what maybe what was the moment that you kind of, if it was like me, you um, you went from athlete to now I am helping others mm-hmm. in athletics. Was there a moment that kind of turned you in that direction or was it kind of just a general interest? Yeah, I think it was definitely like accumulation of factors. Um, you know, one for me, as you know, I've always been an athlete. I've, you know, also was a coach for about 10 years coaching soccer. And, um, you know, for me, I've always recognized the importance of the mental side when it comes to sports. I was I was one of those athletes that probably wasn't, always the most gifted in terms of uh, technical talent on a, on a team. But if it was something that's made me stand apart was of course, like my mindset, my work ethic, my drive. Um, those are really important qualities where I realized, you know, if you can help athletes harness the mental 
qualities that could really make up for some areas that may be, may be lacking in terms of uh, just you know natural talent and technique. So that was that was one factor that kind of motivates me just into the field of psychology and sports psychology specifically. But uh, another turning point as well was recognizing that, you know, whatever I want to do in my life, I want to be very passionate about and enjoy it. And it was very easy for me to identify that, you know, first thing I get up in the morning too, I'm reading sports. You know, one thing I love doing is watching sports. I like participating in sports. So I was like, you know, being able to, to find a career or job where I could actually do that for a living is 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 um, pretty lucky to do and phenomenal. So that was a big push in recognizing I want to work in the field of psychology and counseling, but being able to work with this particular population, athletes specifically, and helping them achieve those goals was a huge turning point for me in recognizing I, I'm, I, I want to do this. I really enjoyed it. And mm. uh, that same internship I mentioned when I was working with really high performers uh, between college and grad school was definitely the the uh, final stamp of approval that I needed to be like, yeah, this is definitely uh, something I would love to do. And I want to kind of, uh, you know, progress in. So. Sure. So, and, and you're a business owner too. So it's not, you're, you're, you're have to put on those hats. I mean, does, does the business side of it ever kind of get in the way of the thing that you're like wanting, like you've been doing this for years now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, I really just want to help people, but I also have to run a business. I mean, do you struggle with that balance any? Um, No, like I have to say I've I've been pretty lucky the way that I have, that we've kind of done things in the past. Like when we, you know, when we first started this company seven years ago, outside of grad school, of course, you know, the, the dreams are there and you're thinking, you know, we can make this into a job that's going to pay for my livelihood and um, really, but also we had to be patient and recognize you want to grow it and naturally. And I think for me, after getting my first job out of uh, grad school, um, I quickly realized as a business owner, it's going to take time. And for me, I always, that's what, uh, that was a big part, reason why I even got into the field of mental health and counseling because I realized that field is, there's a huge demand. There's a lot more, infrastructure and jobs available and so i could i could do this job that i enjoy doing counseling and um, it would cover my livelihood which allows me to take a lot of pressure off my company um, and allows me to really grow it grow it organically where i could focus on doing what i love without having to worry too much about it having to make money of course you need to make money to keep a company going but at least every time I took a client on wouldn't be because this is going to be the make or break of us keeping it going, but more because I think I could actually do great work with this client and help them. Um, and even if we had clients who came to us, we would be in that position to be like, you know, maybe they weren't a good fit for us. So we could find someone who would be a good fit for them, the best possible person. Um, and that has allowed us over these years to make sure we're doing what's right for the client, what's best for them and not just what's best for the, the bottom line. And um, and also with that in mind has allowed me to also bring people on, you know, knowing that I could kind of spread the clients, knowing that this is not something that I'm doing just to to keep the lights on in the in the company, but more that I could actually give opportunities to other people to actually have that same experience working with athletes and doing what they love. So that's for me, it's been really rewarding for us to be able to be a successful business, but also do it in the right way where we're not just looking at the bottom line and just doing doing what's right for the client, but also what's right for the business in terms of making sure we, you know, we're being, uh, you know, fiscally responsible as well. Sure. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, I, 
That sounds, I would love to work for you. It sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you sound great. So uh, I guess maybe um, to jump back just a bit mm-hmm. when, you know, you're a CMPC, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. um, and what was the, I mean, was that just an obvious, I need to do that to, to further my career? It's just a no-brainer step. Or was there like a real... Um, I I know what I will learn if I do this, and I, I I desire to learn what what this will facilitate. I, what was the motivation for CMPC, and what do, what value does it still give you now? Yeah, I think um, it's kind of funny enough that you know when I first actually even pursued a certification, it was even called CMPC. You know, it just used to be called like a, a certified sports and performance psychology consultant. Um, so for me, you know, I'm, I'm a person who, you know, I do, I do a lot of planning, anything I make decisions and I make sure that it's fully vetted. And I, I know like, you know, I've checked all the boxes, this makes it more sense for what I'm doing before I invest in it. And when I was looking at grad school and that year long internship of preparation for grad school, um, you know, coming from the islands of Trinidad Tobago, a big piece that I've always recognized is that when people come back home after, uh, doing their studies, they, they usually get all the certification or training that allows you to show like, Hey, I'm qualified to do this. You know, I, I just, this didn't go and get a master's degree and I'm going to try to be like, you know, say that I'm the most qualified person, but I want to make sure I'm, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it to the best possible um, capability. I'm making sure I'm doing all the right things for the field as well, to make sure it's well represented in, in terms of what I'm doing. So doing that research, you know, uh, and speaking to colleagues as well, you know, that was something I was really um, recommended in terms of if you want to get into the field and you want to kind of stand apart, you know, getting a certification within the field like that would really help with adding an actual layer of credibility. Um, and so for me, that was part of when I was doing my research in graduate programs, looking for a program that would allow me, one, to give me the training and uh, hours I needed mentorship for one counseling, but also for the CMPC. And that's why I found the program that I did. And, you know, it's, it was, it's a great program um, in Chicago, Adler University, uh, that really helped kind of allow me when I left grad school, I already had it. And it gave me, now I could actually go out and just do what I love, knowing that I was fully trained and certified in doing it. And now looking, and I seven years, I started, you know, back in 2015 when I got certified. And fast forward, and now, you know, sometimes you still have that conversation with even big, like people who've been in the field for a long time will ask, like, maybe don't really see it as necessary. And it's always that question. But I think uh, for me, that helps with that. And I, I promote the CMPC in terms of because I know, like, now it's been heavily recognized by the NCAA. Um, all major professional sports organizations, particularly in the U.S., uh, like the NFL, NBA, um, MLB, um, even um, the USOC, Olympic Committee of the U.S., they're all looking at us like that is a preference. They're looking for people who have that. And I think it's good because it shows that they've, you know, these particular individuals have gone through the mentorship, they have gone through the training, and it's almost like that gold stamp showing that, you know, they have at least a baseline level of experience in mentorship in the field. Um, doesn't mean that everybody is uh, great or like that they're going to have any faults, but it just shows at least there is some level of criteria already met. And I think for me, what it has provided has provided opportunities in different ways, working in academia and mentoring other 
professionals who want to do that. So I think it's it's definitely been hugely valuable to get that certification for numerous uh, numerous reasons. And it's even one of the criteria that we do use now for even our company in terms of when we're bringing people on. Uh, it's a requirement because we definitely mm. want to continue to promote the field of sports psychology and knowing that that's that's one of the things you need to do is that to have that certification i think if you you want to be able to do those particular things within the field to show that credibility mm. yeah well said well said it's definitely important to to have learned that and also it's important as as a client knowing who i'm talking to has been through this before yeah and it's something i'm i'm pursuing as a thought experiment i i want to go that direction i haven't mm. yet and i and I, I think it's something i want to do but um so hearing from people like you it, it definitely puts another pebble in that bucket so let's let's left turn into practical um you know for the listener questions that they can can learn from mm. now that we've kind of laid the groundwork of who you are your expertise that that kind of thing so mm. In your seven years, and and maybe you can be just thinking of golfers specifically, mm. or maybe you know performers, athletes in general. What's kind of a like a, a super common thing that you hear from people that that come to you or your your other coaches that you have under you? Um, this is like this is what I'm struggling with. This is what mm. I need help with. This is the like yeah, as specific or as vague as you want to get. What what do you hear on in common scenarios? Uh, I, I would say probably the most common thing is being able to manage anxiety, you know, uh, pressure situations, being able to perform in pressure situations as desired, I think is definitely the commonality because we, you know, most times if an athlete is reaching out, is reaching out because something's not going the way that they, they want it to go, right? That's just naturally how the feel is. Even though we try to change that mindset that uh, sports psychology is just like strength and conditioning, it's just like nutrition in any sense that it is something that can help you take yourself to another level if you do those right things, you know? Um, and so with sports psychology, trying to look at it as more of a proactive approach instead of reactive, knowing that, okay, I'm not performing well, I should go and see a sports psychologist or a mental performance consultant to hopefully fix it instead of recognizing it as maybe part of these tools and skills that I already used and learn how to improve my use of them um, so I can ma- I could better manage my performance the way I want. So when it comes to managing nerves, I think a lot of athletes in general don't, some people naturally know how to do it um, for whatever reason that they've been able to develop that skill set. Um, but for some people, they might feel unprepared or feel unsure of how to actually do it. How do I manage myself when I'm feeling anxious or nervous? Um, and particularly, recognizing how that is related to confidence you know because that's a big piece you know it's you usually feel anxious about something if you're unsure what the results going to be like right but if you're very confident and you're very sure and you trust yourself then it's going to reduce how that anxiety can impact you because you know that you feel confident that you're going to make through you know it's like almost like you're going to run through this wall and for some people with anxiety, they start to question themselves, like, can I actually break this barrier? Can I do it? You know, and the questions start to come in and really can deteriorate their, their ability to actually break that barrier versus for those who are like, no, I could definitely do it. No doubt about it and break through it without any, you know, within any, without any true worry that could be debilitating. 
But yeah, just to answer your question, short, I think definitely confidence and also managing nerves, but I think they go hand in hand. So I think mm-hmm. overall, if any athlete is confident, it, it helps just over, just kind of give them like a blanket of comfort across the ability to perform. Now, if they're lacking confidence, then there's a lot of different things that could come as a result of that lack of confidence. And so for a big piece, when we do work with athletes, I think it's about helping them learn how to be confident, how to tap into different sources of confidence. And if they they can do that, then it's going to give them a better platform for being able to perform and train the way they want. And also kind of, in a sense, increase that resilience to manage any adversity that comes along the way. You know, things like, being injured, recognizing, okay, I might go through an injury, but how do I bounce back, you know, and belief in yourself that you can bounce back, you know, simple things mm-hmm. like that. Sure. Okay. So let's, let's key in on anxiety or maybe a, the more mild version of that would be nervousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the stronger version of that is worry and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually, um, I mean, it can, it can go even further down that line, but let's say someone is, is to the level of worry or anxious about mm-hmm. an upcoming thing. Like they've got a big tournament this weekend. How, how would you help them if they, if, if I was a player and I came to you and I said, I'm, I'm super stressed about how this could go. I, um, I, I feel kind of unprepared. I, I don't know how it could go. I, I hope it doesn't go terrible. Mm-hmm. How would you work through that with them? Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of different approaches you could utilize. Um, I think the two that I kind of lean on the most is definitely a combination between like cognitive behavioral therapy um, as well as uh, acceptance commitment theory. Um, and the, both of them are involved in tapping into the cognitive aspect of worry, you know, and anxiety. Um, so when we work with athletes, it's really about a lot of it can involve just a lot of psychoeducation in the beginning for them to help them understand, well, how does your body or your brain create this worry where did it come from you know like a lot of times they don't recognize that that worry or anxiety is a product of their thoughts right which could be resulting from a particular situation the way they perceive this particular situation so i try to help them a lot in terms of really just try to take everything they're thinking and lay it out and be like all right you got this tournament right is think about what are, what are all the and you having anxiety and worry about it, you know, put that in a different column. And let's try to connect the two, right? You have this tournament, you're feeling worried about it. Let's figure out what is that that is impacting to cause that worry. And it, most of it is really about then starting to really be increase your self-awareness about what thoughts you're having, uh, what kind of thoughts, how they then contribute to the anxiety. Um, because a lot of, a big piece of it is recognizing that, you know, I, I kind of give them this, uh, think about the person you're talking to, how do you coach yourself in this situation? Right. And there's three people I usually tell them, yeah, they're talking to the scientist who is a bunch of questions you're asking yourself. Maybe you're talking to the Hulk who's this very angry person and is just beating yourself down. Or maybe talking to your best friend who's very supportive and encouraging, you know, and sometimes there are more, more people than that. But those are, those are the three I try to help my clients kind of learn and pick up in terms of who am I talking to right now. And for the most times, if they're talking to, if they're experiencing anxiety, most times they might be talking to the scientists where they just act there's like paralysis by analysis, just a ton of questions, not enough answers. And, or they're talking to maybe the Hulk as well, who is like the actually Hulk, the question, the Hulk gives them a negative response and they 
they go down this rabbit hole of like question, negative response, and they're unable to break that. So for overall, the most piece is really about a lot of education because it's not just that one tournament that's going to happen. It's going to be more tournaments to come, but it's more about trying to then pick up on, well, what is my self-talk, you know, and using and recognizing that's a skill, you know, how do you, you know, how do you notice negative or ineffective thoughts? You know, how do you label it to recognize it's just a thought? Doesn't mean that it's real. Doesn't mean that it's, you know, it has to be the reality of the situation, but then recognizing how do I actively reframe it, you know, to be more effective? How do I channel in that best friend, that support to recognize I could have these doubts, but at the same time, I'm going to end it on a positive note to recognize that you can do this. You've been preparing for this. So that's a big piece, of course, self-talk, you know, that's one of the skills we teach. Um, and other things too is just like, you know, mental preparation, you know, recognize things like mental imagery, seeing yourself being successful, managing the nerves, the things that you are worrying about. And also goal setting is probably another big one because a big part too is that if you're worried about something, it's because you have an expectation about that thing and you're mm -hmm. unsure. Same thing, back to the confidence. You're unsure if you're going to be successful mm -hmm. in that situation. So let's try to think about what are the goals you're setting for yourself. Are you setting it very outcome-based or is there some process involved in Are you thinking about mastery? Are you thinking about just be, using this as an opportunity to get better and not as a as a as an opportunity to evaluate yourself? So I think it's you know when it when it comes to that, it's a many different approaches you could use for athlete, but it really kind of depends of where they're at already. Because you might have someone who has really good self talk, but they're just really worried about this tournament because they already have really high expectations of themselves. So it might be a little unrealistic. So we try to change the focus of what they're looking at, you know, about this tournament. You might have someone who is, you know, has has really good goals, but they just naturally, their self-talk in competitive situations might not be the best and they feel anxious and they don't know how to manage that anxiety, um, especially if it's somatic anxiety. So it's, it's, it's a kind of, it's a multifaceted approach um, when it comes to, to that, but it really depends at the end of the day what they're kind of going through and trying to figure out, well, which, which approach is going to be best for that, that individual and what they're kind of going through. Mm. Anyone listening, just rewind back and just listen to that over and over and over. That was excellent. That was so good. So you, um, you mentioned at the top, either cognitive behavioral therapy or what? What was the other one you the other mentioned? One's, uh, it was like uh, abbreviated as uh, acceptance commitment theory, which is ACT. Okay. That one is more of like a kind of mindfulness approach where it's really about recognizing that thoughts are just thoughts, feelings are just feelings, and being able to accept it that that's what they are. You know, mm. I'm not trying to then use it as, as a true definition or a label on anything. So like you could be accepting that, you know what, I feel I'm having the feeling that I'm nervous about this upcoming tournament, but I know that if I do X, Y, and Z, I can make through and do well, you know? So it's about accepting that it's a thought and thoughts mm. are just thoughts. Feelings are just feelings. Um, and let that train go by. You know, don't don't sit on it and just let it man manifest into everything you're thinking about, you know, and just accepting that's what it is, you know. Mm. So there's, there's so many different aspects to that, but I, I kind of kind of fluctuate between the two because uh, it really kind of depends on the situation, what it, what is going to be helpful for that individual. But uh, yeah, that's a very common, I guess, mm. theoretical orientation. A lot of people use is acceptance commitment theory. For mm. sure. That's great. So you've mentioned awareness several times. 
how how do you teach awareness to a client or a student or a player? Um, I mean, is it is it a practical go sit down for eight minutes and focus on your breath, or is it a kind of a moment by moment throughout the day kind of awareness? Um, how do you go about? And obviously, mileage varies for every person, mm-hmm. but um, how do you go about teaching mindfulness, teaching awareness to clients? Yeah. So one of the first things that we do with clients that, you know, I have found to be very crucial in the beginning stages of working with a new client is that first session where we do what we call like our intake uh, session, where we're trying to learn a lot more about what the athlete has been going through, their current experience, and just their conceptualization of what they kind of perceive as what's maybe stopping them from performing or training the way that they want and so part of that, of course, is some general questions. Uh, we also do implement a assessment as well that helps kind of helps the athletes evaluate themselves in terms of particular skills they would use as an athlete. Things like, you know, the goal setting, the motivation, the self-talk, the mental imagery, ability to manage nervousness, uh, attention control. And so they complete this assessment on themselves, rating themselves on a variety of different questions and responses. And it gives us those results, which is a quick snapshot, pretty much of how they use particular skills and their own competence or, or even confidence in using particular skills. And what that does is really kind of give us a good uh, conceptualization of what that client is going through um, and increase our awareness about like, wow, like it seems like your nervousness is directly related to how you, you know, talk to yourself and it also then tied to like your attitude and goal setting. And then if we could increase that self-awareness just from that perspective, that if we improve these particular skills, it's going to help overall and improve. So that's one aspect in terms of self-awareness. We help our clients because we want them to better understand themselves and how they, how, what are these skills and how these skills impact them if they were to improve upon it. But then if you want to dive into the actual act of self-awareness, that's a little different, right? That's, that's more about training. How do I notice? Like, you guess there's different self-awareness. You have, like, uh, cognitive awareness. You have somatic awareness. So, and they require different skill sets. So, for instance, like when we're doing like a CBT or ACT and helping a client learn to improve their self-talk, before you can change anything, you have to be very aware of when it's happening and what it looks like, you know? And that's like one of the first, it's like a three-step I use is called notice, name, and neutralize. So in order to, in order to before you even name and neutralize, you got to notice your thoughts, when they happen, what do they look like, before you then actually name it and then you neutralize it. So a big part we do with noticing is sometimes you could just do some mindfulness techniques where maybe you're just sitting in a room by yourself for like a minute and just practicing some breathing and trying to just focus on your breathing. And as soon as your mind shifts away from your breathing, recognizing that and just bringing it back to your breathing. And uh, that's a part of what we call like attention control, recognizing how do I train my attention to, to stay on a particular focus point and recognize when it, it drifts away, how do I bring it back? And if you could do certain things like that uh, confidently for a longer period of times, then you recognize that you have the ability to recognize when your attention shifts to other things that might not be as effective. So those, those are like one example of you could improve like your awareness. Sometimes we do stuff like self-talk logs. So we give them a log to be able to, for them to write down maybe certain activating events, 
how those then transpire to some thoughts experience and then the emotions and try to pick up on particular patterns that they may mm-hmm. experience. Um, so that's another form of trying to help develop self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different things. Breathing, you know, if you recognize why well, I'm feeling really uh, muscle tension in particular areas or my heart rate's increasing, sweatiness of the palms, you know, somatic signs of anxiety, then you recognize, okay, I got to pick up on these signs and recognize maybe I'm actually working myself up in this situation. And then how do I then help manage that? So there's a lot of, it's, it, like I say, it's one of those ones too, it's no like, you know, one right answer is it kind of depends on what you're looking to improve upon when it comes to self-awareness. For sure. So you, you briefly mentioned it, the notice name neutralize mm-hmm. as, as a form of, um, well, I'll let you explain it. I, the The noticing, obviously, is the awareness. Is the mm-hmm. um, I I can I notice when I have those emotional mm-hmm. feelings, those thoughts, those sensations, whether it's physical or mental. But then the next step is naming it and then neutralizing it. Maybe just explain that. What What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. So for the big part, like when we work with clients on self awareness, we kind of focus on that area of noticing. You know, noticing when I have negative thoughts or ineffective thoughts, noticing when I get anxious or disappointed or angry, um, noticing just how they all connected situation to the thought, to the feeling, you know, just all those things. And once you kind of feel like, you know, you're able to pick up on that, then a big piece after that, then, you know, related back to CBT and ECT is about then labeling it, you know, being able to identify what is the actual thought that you're having, you know? What is the feeling that you're having because of these situations? And then practicing just labeling it where like, well, I'm, feel, I'm feeling kind of nervous about this upcoming tournament because I'm worried about um, uh, being able to perform in front of my family or coaches, whatever it is, um, and recognize that's just a feeling. I'm feeling that I'm feeling that, you know, and because I'm thinking about this. So being able to then label it for what it is and then recognize, well, how do I neutralize it? Can I neutralize it by reframing the situation to recognize that um, I'm worried about performing in front of people I care about, but I know that if I focus on the things I can control, that I can then do better, you know, or have a successful performance in it. Mm. And recognizing that I'm neutralizing it by just maybe cognitively reframing the situation to be more effective um, instead of thinking of other people that I can't control, think about things you can control, you know, and that's, and then I tell people too, is like, it's not always about how you start. It's sometimes also how you end, you know, because, you know, when it, when it comes to thoughts, right. If we, if I tell you, don't think about the pink elephant, right. You're going to think about the pink elephant, even though I said, don't think about it. But if I said, don't think about the pink elephant and think more about the purple hippotamus, right? You might start and not think too much about that, uh, you know, the uh, the pink elephant, but now start thinking more about the purple hippotamus. That's, what, that's the last thing I said, right? And it's mm-hmm. trying to show that sometimes when we have these thoughts, it's not a matter about the negative thought we had. It's more about well, how do I change it or reframe it to a more positive aspect and let that be the lasting impact on my mind. Um, so that's kind of comes down to neutralizing and you can neutralize things by, you know, adding, um, you know, like a physical cue, you know, whether it's breathing, stretching, uh, progressive muscle relaxation, maybe it's just an actual performance cue of something you do when you're warming up, 
um, for sometimes for people like in um, like LeBron, actually like Cristiano Ronaldo, the soccer player, you know, he has a cue when he's resetting, when he's about to take a free kick or penalty, right? Everyone will say that he takes, he, he takes a certain amount of steps away from the ball, squares up in it, and he takes like two deep breaths, you know, to kind of reset himself and forget about everything he's doing and focus indirectly on what he's going to do. And you see it all the time with like people in basketball, right? Doing free throws, bounce the ball a couple of times, deep breath, exhale, and then go for the shot, you know? So they have those kind of physical cues you could do to kind of help reset your mind and your focus on this particular action you're mm-hmm. going to do while they're also probably rehearsing things in their mind, giving them some, you know, performance cues of something to think about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, basketball again, you're thinking about a free throw, they might say what elbows high, you know, and, and line it up with your wrist, you know, until you think about those things. And I'm thinking about, well, this is a game-winning free throw I got to take. Right. You know? Yeah. So you just try sure. to pay everything together, you know, to make it to make it effective for the athlete. Hmm. Yeah, and and that brings in the importance of for golf a pre-shot routine, post-shot routine, yeah. uh the the things that you're physically and mentally doing as you're preparing for a shot. So mm-hmm. maybe as a segue um into that with your golf clients, I mean, is there like a a I I ask this because I'm I'm the host, but is there a one size fits all uh, like pre shot routine that you try to tell everyone, or is there like some general principles that it's like you should be thinking this before a shot, um, or is it more the the player comes to you and says they're struggling, and then and then you break down the pre shot routine and say, well, maybe it's because of this that you're struggling. Which which direction do you come at it from? I think it's all it's about channel you know, find something that's going to work particularly for the athletes, you know, because one size fits all is not going to work for everybody. You know what I mean? And the chance of them using something that doesn't fit well for them is going to happen. Right. You know, so you need to make sure that you customize it to that particular athlete. Like I remember one golf athlete I was working with, you know, his pre-shot routine, uh, the way he kind of stepped up the ball, his words that he would tell himself, which I even use today because it was great words. He would say, you know, it's like splash and turn. And I'm like, he's like talking about trying to like use his club to splash the water, right? And then just turn with it. And that's what he would just tell himself to kind of reset. One thing about the shot, think about anything else. He would give himself that visual cue to splash and turn. Uh, for some people, you know, it might be simple things where they just, instead of thinking about all of their pre-shot routine steps, they might just think about where they want the ball to go, you know? So instead of analyzing all the actual mechanics of the swing, they're just thinking about just laying it short of the green. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they might just be thinking about that. So no longer thinking about all the steps to the swing, but just thinking about where they want the ball to go. Um, so it, it really depends on the athlete. But yeah, you always want to find a pre-shot routine that's customized to that particular athlete. Because not even in golf, you know, we use that same terminology for other athletes and we just call it like a pre-performance routine. You know, what are you doing as that routine? So it becomes like almost automatic where you don't mm. even have to think about it that much. It's just very natural. This is something you do all the time, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Well said. And, and on the, on that note, something I've read in some research is the, the best type of, and I think it's like maybe mental target is, is for it to be narrow and external rather than, I guess the opposite would be broad and internal where all you're thinking about is the, all the moving parts that create a golf shot instead make your target 
out external from you. And if you do have some swing feels rather than like technical thoughts, I like splash and turn. It's real simple. Um, you know, some people are like get deep on the backswing or, or whatever it is. It's, it's more of a kind of a general feel, but then mostly it's like my target is there and that's where I want the ball to go. That's where I want it to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's just a, it's a more, it's a, it's a more athletic mentality to have rather than I need to do this, 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 and, right. um, mm-hmm. right. So that's, I, I like the way you're talking about that. Um, so, so we've kind of talked about kind of future worry or anxiety about something upcoming. Now let's kind of turn around and say, we just had a bad shot or we just, had a bad hole or bad round or bad tournament. And we've, we've, we've tough touched on acceptance and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. But if, if someone comes to you and, and they just, just had an awful tournament or they were playing great and they, they lost it on the, on the final hole or like, um, the PGA championship just ended and, and the guy that was leading double bogey, the last hole to lose Mm -hmm. and miss the playoff. So if someone comes to you like that and they're really down and out about it, how would you, talk to them kind of help them through that experience yeah like if if the tournament's over and now it's about moving on i think a big piece of that is about always kind of reflecting on the actual tournament because you don't want to just sweep it under the rug you know what i mean you don't want there to be leftover things that you're thinking about it that you haven't come to terms with uh, but recognizing that the past is only something we can learn from you can't change it and so we want to really kind of identify, you know, what are the helpful things that we did in the past? You know, it's kind of tapping into like a growth mindset, you know, like what are mm-hmm. some things that we did really well that we want to take with us? You know, that's the first step, recognizing the things we did that were positives or strengths so we could use that to kind of build on it. And then what were the things that, we you know, we need to improve on, you know, that we didn't do so well, you know, and let's turn these into like actionable goals, recognizing that, Okay, you didn't perform the way you wanted. Makes sense. You're a little disappointed. But the only way to actually get better at something is we need to go and actually work on it. And in order, so let's go and turn these things into actual goals that we're going to work on for the upcoming future to be better next time. Um, And knowing that it doesn't mean that it's like you're a failure. You just, you know, it's more about recognizing maybe you just didn't perform the way you wanted. And now we need to then recognize, well, how do I then do that? How do I actually perform the way I want? So it's a little mixture of like, it's like a performance cycle. I help my athletes understand, you know, like it's, you have a, uh, you plan, you prepare, you perform, and then you recover. Or you also like reevaluate, you know, those four steps. So when you finish playing that tournament, you're kind of in that recover and reevaluating mode, like trying to really, really think about everything happened, really recover, get back healthy, get back, you know, both physically and mentally. And think about, you know, my goal setting. Did I reach my goals? Where did I fall short? What do I need to improve on? What did I do that was well? And then t- take it into the next part of that cycle that starts all over again, which is the planning, you know, thinking about what are my goals, upcoming goals, you know, tying in the next planning skill, which is like mental imagery, visualizing myself accomplishing those goals. And then as you get closer to the next tournament, then we then dive into more of like the preparation skills, like my self-talk, my mental imagery, my my energy management, and you're ready to then perform. Because after you do all that, when it's time to perform, now we're just focusing, as you said, on the narrow external, just hmm. purely on that performance execution. 
And, and that's what we should think about. No longer thinking about it. We're way past that. We've done everything to build us up at this particular moment. And let's just focus in the moment of what we're trying to do. But if we do all those steps that we talked about, plan, prepare, perform, and then recover, it's just a cycle over and over. It's almost like a micro, micro cycle to our performance. Mm. And you can even take that uh, as a whole tournament and narrow it down into a shot by shot mm-hmm. where every shot requires planning. Every shot requires, what was the second one? Uh, plan, prepare. Yeah. See, so then prepare. prepare. Yeah. And then right. just perform. Just think perform. about perform. Yeah. Hit the shot and then recover and move on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that can be applied to, to, Big or small situation. Yeah, so I exactly. love that. That's that's excellent. Okay, so as we're wrapping up, um, I got a, just a couple more brief questions mm-hmm. for you. If so, there's there's mental and physical parts of golf mm-hmm. and performance in general. Do could you put could you narrow it down to a percentage of importance of the importance of the mental game and the importance of the physical game? Like if I said golf is blank percent mental and blank percent physical, what would you say? I would say that the, uh, I would say the mental is a hundred percent, you know, because I don't think you can do the physical without the mental, you mm. know, if you, you are, then that means you're not really thinking, right. If the physical is a hundred percent, um, cause they always ask, well, you know, what's most important, mental or physical. And but I'm like, they're both really important. But I would say when you do, when you don't perform the way you wanted, was it because you weren't physically healthy or that you weren't mentally ready, you know? Mm. And most times it's back to, I wasn't there mentally, right? I made mental errors. I'm physically, I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm, I'm fit. I, I'm as strong as I need to be. I'm flexible, but their mind wasn't there. And that's why I think a big part of it is about recognizing that if you can get your mind to be that hundred percent committed in everything you do physically, you, you'll be good. You'll be good to go, you know? Um, and even then, it's still not perfect. You know, you're still going to make mistakes. Things are not going to turn out the way you wanted, you know? But recognizing that that's the difference, that my body might stay the same, but I need to recognize how do I get my mind to move on and get ready for the next thing. So I, I think it's both, but I definitely think that that when it comes to golf, it's all mental. You know what I mean? It is mentally like you get ready to practice. You, how do you then bring yourself to be your best in practice? You know, how do you mm. get yourself to be ready for, to give yourself your best shot in each hole? You know, sure. uh, so I, I think all of it is it's a lot harder to do mentally, but that's where we need to actually work on the most if we're looking to perform the way that we want. Mm. Well said to a, to a kind of an unanswerable question. That's a, that was a great yeah. answer. Mm-hmm. So have you, for the listener, have you read any good books, any good resources lately that you could recommend the listener to like, um, not from yourself, but like, uh, a resource that you've experienced yourself that has helped you learn anything recent that come to mind? Um, I'm trying to think there is, I know there was a golf book. I don't know if I have it in my life because it's been a while since I read it, but it was a really good golf book that was tied to like the sports psychology Hmm. aspect of, of particularly of golf. Um, but, and some of the other ones that I, I've read have definitely been more sports specific, but, sure. um, trying to see if I could actually look and see, cause I got my li- list of books. Here. Let me yeah. see. I might be able to tell you on my shelf. Really sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We all want to know. <laughs> 
Kai is going to look at his books. Uh, I can't even see him on screen either, anymore. So, but um, yeah, so I don't, I, I don't see the golf one, but uh, sure. one book I would recommend that I've heard <laughs> many people recommend as well. It's called the, the Brave Athlete. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that it ties into gotcha. a lot of different skills, especially when it comes to sports psychology. Um, so I would definitely recommend that one because it's it's going to give you a good variety. Of different the things. brave athlete. Okay, yeah, the brave cool. athlete. Yeah, I've heard other people talk about the mind gym as well, um, but I haven't been able to to dive into. It. I haven't gone gone that one yet. But I've heard several people just over the last couple of weeks talk about that one as well. Great. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So that's someone else's resource. Now, is there anything you'd like to promote? Any social? Any uh, website? Anything you'd like to promote? Where people can find you? Where would you send them? Um. I guess for our websites, I think it's it's a pretty good resource because we do have a section uh, that we call like the Performance Hub, where it has all our blogs that we've ever done, um, and they're broken down by category, so you could actually select which category you want to learn about, and it'll show you all the blogs we've ever written about that 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 uh, particular topic. So, like, say the one is for like confidence, you click on confidence, it'll give you a list of ones we've written. So if you check out our website, um, consulting.com or you could just Google the Performance Pursuit and you get our website. Uh, we got a, a decent amount of resources there, especially with the blogs. Uh, we also do offer free consultation as well if, if athletes are interested in learning about how we might be able to assist them and support them in uh, improving their ability to perform and train. Excellent. All right. Well, Kai, thank you so much for this. This is this has been a pleasure. I know a lot of people are going to learn a lot from this, so I can't wait to share it. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it, man. All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kai. I know I did. Uh, I hope you also think that it was just really clean and simple and just just directly applicable and and practical. I, I thought it was just awesome. I know I learned a lot just in talking to him for just that short amount of time. Um, I I do feel obliged as I, as I have been doing recently at the end of these episodes. I should mention um, that what we say in these episodes or what you see on the social channels uh, from the Mental Golf Show um, is not meant to be psychological help for any deep issues you're going through. If you are encountering anything um, really deep like that, you should talk to a licensed professional. Um, I think that's really important. Uh, it's, we're, we're rounding out as I'm, as I'm recording this, we're rounding out, um, mental health awareness month. So I, I just want to shout it from the rooftops, how important it is to address your mental health. Um, I see a counselor myself. Um, it's, it's something I do to better myself and, and I, I'd be really bummed if I could never see him again because it's so it's been so helpful for me just talking to someone on a regular basis, just a monthly basis. Um, so for the men, for the golf mental game, of course you can work with someone one on one in that realm too, and it could be someone like Kai who sounds amazing and sounds like someone I wish I had known when I was uh, a developing golfer, um, or you could work with myself. Uh, the link to contact Kai will be in the show notes and the link to contact me will be in the show notes. Uh, if you'd like to work one-on-one with a mental coach, um, I highly encourage you to go down that route if you're leaning that direction. Um, and of course you can find links to all, all of Kai's social media, um, or you can follow the mental golf show. It's at mental golf show on Instagram 
and Twitter. And you can follow myself personally. I'm a little more active. Um, it's at Josh Luke Nichols uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Mostly Twitter. I, I I put most of my thoughts there about books I'm reading, thoughts I have, uh, things I learn from people, little snippets from the podcast. Um, I'm trying to be a little more active on the mental golf show side of things, but um, hopefully more to come with that in the future. Okay. So thanks again to everybody listening to the show, whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, I really appreciate this community. Um, if you loved this episode and you haven't gone over to Apple podcasts and given it a rating, what are you doing? Come on, get over there. Come on, go give it the rating. Okay. This has been the mental golf show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I will see you guys next time. Peace.